This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. I was just thinking, as we were singing those songs, the first one, Christ be magnified, second one there, your grace is enough. And I like how Luke mentioned in the the bridge of that one song, do we ever stop and think, do we really mean what we're singing? Is the life that you and I are living, would it portray that our utmost desire is that Christ be magnified, that there would be no other ulterior motive. Um, when we're going through life, do we really believe the truth that God's grace is enough? It's good to think through those things. It's good to ask those questions. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 143. And we're going to ask those very questions to ourselves this morning as we're going to see in this psalm of which David, King David wrote, David crying out to God. In a room this size, there's a lot of crying out to God that happens on a, not just a weekly basis, but a daily basis. Some of us woke up this morning crying out to God. And the question that I would have this morning is, what's the purpose behind that cry? What's the purpose behind that plea? So let me read this and then we'll, we'll dive on in. Psalm 143 begins in verse 1, says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one, is, no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul... He has crushed my life to the ground and he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me and my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I pray in the brief moments that we spend together or these moments we spend together in corporate worship are just a matter of of minutes or a little over an hour of our weekly lives, but May this be something that we're so expectant of. Expectant of singing songs together amidst the the congregation. We're expectant of 
reading your word and hearing from it and then upon the challenges that are presented, acting upon it. Father, as many of us cry out in this room this morning, we cry out with different needs. Lord, may we consider the purpose behind our cries to you. What it really is that we want, Lord, and may it be seen that what we really want is you and your being glorified. We lift these things to you this morning, Lord. We trust you with whatever happens in this room today. We pray them in your name. Amen. I was thinking this past week back, it's been several summers ago, but when I lived in Lynchburg, there was a lake there in Lynchburg, and some of my college friends and others would go out to this lake. The Liberty University owned it. And uh, this lake had a beach, and then across from the beach, there was like a little island. If you swam about, let's just say, maybe about 100 yards across. So what we would do is we would go swimming on a nice warm day like today would be, and we would swim across to the other side to where that little island is and have a good time hanging out. Well, it was one particular day I was with a couple guys, and we decided we were going to swim across, and there was four of us. And uh, three of us got to the other side, and one of the guys with us all of a sudden started yelling and saying, help, help, and you know, he's flailing his arms. He's saying, help, help, I got a cramp. And so you, that's, that's trouble if you're out in the water and you catch a cramp. And so we obviously began to go and respond to his needs, and he's yelling for help, and he's flailing in the water and struggling. And one of the guys with us got to him, and the guy that got to him was standing up on the ground. <laughs> he was close enough to the shore where he could have just put his feet down and he would have been okay. Now, he was hurting. Let's not get that wrong. My friend was, was hurting. His cramp was painful. But he had ground beneath his feet that allowed him, if he would have known it, to just kind of settle down. Help would have gotten to him. He would have gotten to shore. You know, this, this morning, I, I look in a room such as this, and I think there's many of us in here we're regularly feeling, bearing, and experiencing the weight of, the, of perilous situations, this fleshly world that surrounds us. We get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we're confronted with an image of weakness. Maybe some of us in here, we wake up in the morning and we struggle with the shame of past mistakes things we've done and we, we struggle to forgive ourselves. And all the while, in the, in the background, there's these feelings of pressure, pressure of darkness, discouragement, depression, and elements of defeat that kind of breathe down our neck. We struggle to kind of push forward. And I think here's the thing I want you to ponder this morning is there's a tension at play every day within each of our lives. And that tension is between the light and the dark. Some of us in the room today are living very aware of that. Some of us are not living aware of that. For both of us, it's hard. But it's a lot harder when you're living, neglecting the understanding of the fact that there is spiritual warfare raging around us every day. You know, we feel the aches, but my question, I guess, that I would ask for us this morning is, as we feel the aches, have we grasped the nature of the gain? What I titled today is, is aches and gains. We think about aches and pains. When we think about the ache, what is the gain in my life that's going to allow me to press onward? 
you're in here this morning, maybe you're going through a difficult life situation. Perhaps you've lost a loved one. You're dealing with health complications. Um, there's relationship problems. You've made some pretty bad mistakes and you're not, not very uh, pleased with yourself due to that. There's these heavy weights that exist and the question is going to be, well, where are you turning? Where you turn to shows where you think gain will come from. You know, I think the nature of the directive of our pleas and our cries, as we're going to see this morning, even from David, is going to denote the gain that we're actually chasing in life. And as we cry out to God, I want you to think, am I just crying out to God to escape what's bothering me? Am I just running from something that chases me and viewing God as my opportunistic escape? Or am I running to God for God? Right? Now, Psalm 143 that we're looking at today, it carries on that consistent theme through the Psalms. I love the Psalms because you do see the aches. You see the pains. You see the difficulties. It's expressed very clearly. But then you also see what I would refer to as these pivot points where we go from God, this is where I'm at, and this is a hard place, but God. But you are faithful. But I recall the times that you helped me along, that you pushed me through, that you pressed me onward. In, in Psalm 143, as, as David writes it, it's, it's considered a lament. And you think about what is a lament. It has elements of sorrow, of pain, of confusion, and of grief. But it's also considered a penitential psalm, which means that we see David here crying out to God for mercy, aware of his own sin. As he faces brokenness, he realizes, I'm broken right? It's a beautiful thing that we, as we'll see this morning, as he kind of presses onward, he develops his thoughts as he responds to the fears that he faces. And we'll find him crying out for mercy. We'll find him crying out for deliverance. We'll find him crying out for nourishment, growth, and ultimately so that God would be glorified. There'll be five points this morning. I'm breaking free from the typical three-point Baptist minister. Um, Message. We're going to have five points. If you'd like to follow along on the back of your bulletin, there are some fill-in-the-blanks this morning um, that will kind of help us process through, some, process through some of the main thoughts that are at hand. And here's, here's the first one I want us to chew on this morning as we look at his progression. Yet again, we're thinking about David's crying out to God. How does David cry out to God? How should that affect the way that I plead with and cry out to God within my life? First thing we see here is that he's broken and needy. He cries out to the Lord and he pleads for mercy. Now, looking at the life of David, it's, we know that he went through much hardship. We saw Saul wanted to kill him. His own son, Absalom, wanted to kill him. We know he made a pretty grievous mistake in his sin with Bathsheba and then the murderous intent that came out of that. He's been through some major valleys, some major difficulties, some major ups and downs. So his crying out to God, though, here isn't just, God, just get me out of this. I, I just, I'm just in a bad spot. Please help me. Just get me away from all these problems and all, these, all this pain. He's not crying out as one who would say, God, I, don't you remember all I've done for you? As though I, I deserve to get out of this situation. I deserve your ear. And we see that as we kind of progress through here because his plea for mercy is based on an understanding that he falls gravely short of the glory of God. 
right? Uh, you know, as, as we look in the scriptures, I, I think it's very clear. You look at like Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. We know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of who? The glory of God. We know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Each of us in the room this morning have to come to terms with this fact that in our own nature, we are fallen. We are broken. We are needy. We can't come before God as though we deserve anything. So this is where it's interesting here as I've studied this this past week. Well, what's the directive that he turns as he cries out to God? He doesn't say in verse 1, Hear my prayer, Lord, give ear to my plea for mercy. In my faithfulness, answer me. In my righteousness. Who does he say? In yours. In your faithfulness, answer me, God. In your righteousness, answer me. And as it goes on to verse 2, he says, Don't enter into judgment with your servant. For he knows that based on his own volition, based on his own status, based on his own sinful, broken estate, if he were to stand just based on that before God, God's judgment would crush him. It's the same for us today. In our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own nature, we fall gravely short of God the Father who is ultimately holy. But I love in verse 2 because he says, don't enter into judgment with me, your, your servant. He's coming before him saying, God, I'm yours. I cry out to you for mercy as one who everything that I have and everything that I will be depends upon you. I'm a servant to you. I'm bound ultimately to you. And then he says again, for no one living is righteous before you. Dave is not just praying for relief as though he deserves it or as though he has earned the privilege. Now, I guess in summary here within that point about his brokenness and neediness, we can see that the plea of David is grounded humbly in the sense that he stands broken before all holy God and needy for God to work mercifully on his behalf. That's true for all of us in here. We stand broken before him and we stand in need of his mercy and dependent upon him. And a good point for us to ponder even in this as we think about, well, how am I crying out to God? What does my life look, out when I get in a, look like when I get in a perilous situation where everything seems to be caving in? Am I just crying out to him situationally? Am I just crying out to him in, in such a way that shows that, you know, I'm in a position where God, you know, don't you remember all that I've done? Don't you remember all the times that I served in church? Don't you, hadn't you seen all the times that I've been helpful to others? I love David's words from Psalm 51, 16 and 17. This is after his sin with Bathsheba. He's in this, he's repenting. He's saying, Lord, I, I'm, I've gone terribly astray. And he says this in 16 and 17 of Psalm 51. You will, not, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. Here's what the sacrifices of God are. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And that's the very picture we see here with him in Psalm 143. And that's the very same picture for us. What we bring to the table and what we do is not what garners God's attention. He wants us to be completely broken and needy before him, saying, you're the one that I need. Now, I think in summary, you, you'll see up here, broken and needy, we cry out to God, trusting that from the fullness of his character, all that he is, his faithfulness, his righteousness, he will breathe life into the emptiness of our own character. We can't get that backwards. We can't 
feel as though it's, I got to will my way out of this, God. No, it's like, God, it's from your fullness of your character that I'm able to press onward. We see here, for some of us this morning, that may mean there's some of us that may be living a double standard, right? We want to cry out to God, but we don't want to be serious in our worship. We cry out to God, but we do it more so as a victim. Well, God, woe is me. Why do I always have to? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think, well, he's just playing hardball. Don't you understand feelings and emotions? There is feeling and emotion. Some of you are experiencing feelings and emotions in the room this morning that nobody else in here would understand, but he understands, right? We express that, but we don't express that in a way that's prideful or, Lord, you know, I deserve it. We say, God, I'm just, I'm at my, we're going to see here in the next point, where I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my lowest. I need your help, right? We lean upon him. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You desire mercy from God? Have a repentant heart. Remember, we're not all that. Cry out to him as one who falls short. We know God. I know God. I fall short. Second thing is this. We see in verse 3 and 4 this sense of being tired and tormented. So he's broken and needy. He's like, God, kind of reaching the end of my rope here. And then he kind of de- depicts the end of the rope here. He shows what is the pit that he's fallen within. What is it decorated with? He says in verse 3, The enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. You know, David's plea now moves into the weight of the pain and agony he feels and kind of helps him understand and process the face of the attacks that he's been dealing with. Now, as he says here in in, in verse 3, what is the enemy doing? He's pursued, he's crushed, and he's made me sit. And what's the place that he's made him sit in? He's just think about the grave, Sheol, the grave, this place of darkness and discouragement and feelings of nothingness, right? He says, that's where I feel as though I'm residing. You know, it's good for us to pause there and consider the words of John 10.10. 10. See, in John 10.10, 10, it says, what does the thief come to do? He only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy what David's saying here is, I've been actively targeted. <laughs> My joy feels like it seems to be seeping out. And his aim that he's been having towards me is putting me in the grave. Right? It's a, it's a place of, of great darkness, a, pr- a place of great discouragement. And what does he say in verse 4? Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. You can think of a couple of imagery, images here. I mean, it could be in a, in, the, in a boxing match where somebody lands a punch and it sends that, that opponent to the mat. You've, we've all seen it. That person tries to get up and what happens? They can't get up. And if they do try to get up, they look like a fool. And somebody eventually has to come and just say, hey, stay down. Stay down. Don't, don't, try, to, don't try to get back up. Or maybe it's, we've experienced a time, if you're ever played sports or things of that nature where you've maybe got a gut punch we've heard the proverbial statement it's a punch to the gut some of us have literally taken punches to the gut what does it lead you doing you're like keeled over and you can't catch your breath that's what we can kind of picture here with David is he's saying I can't catch my breath my spirit within me faints my heart within me is appalled you think about that word 
appalled. It shows a sense of desolation, a sense of devastation, horror within. Now, what we see in him here is a trembling voice of a tired soul. He's just said, I'm broken and needy. And then he's, now he's saying, I'm beaten up. Like I feel like I'm just laying here on, on the mat. And he's saying, amidst the, these tormenting attacks of, of darkness, what they're trying to do is they're trying to take me to the grave. And we see elsewhere, Psalm 16, David talks about this a little bit. He says, he's kind of fearful of what the grave would hold for him. He says, you know, my heart will not see corruption. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave. My heart, you won't let your holy one see corruption. You've made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He's admitting, I'm in this dark place, but Lord, as I cry out, I'm, I'm believing that you're going to remember me. And it's important for us, even in the room this morning, we think about some of us in here are, as David's declaring in 3 and 4, you're tired and you feel tormented. Situations in life are heavy. I hate to break it to us, but we can't bear those weights alone. And there's a lot of us in here, we're trying to. We try to. And we're, we're living in some ways ignorant of the devil's devices. You see here, when you think about an application, you know, what does the devil aim to do? He wants to distract our eyes from the glory of God. He wants to hinder our mission to magnify God. And he wants to do what? Ultimately rob us of the joy that is found within God. And here's the thing. Ignorance of this only welcomes the grave residence of discouragement and decay. Some of us here feel what David said there. Maybe it's, like I said, you got to fill in that blank. Maybe it's through the difficulties of life, the loss of someone, a, a, an ailment or an illness or a relationship issue or things that are going wrong at work, whatever it may be. And, and you, you feel these weights, but what are you doing? You're just kind of covering them up. You're trying to put on, what is the th people, oh, I got to put on a brave face. And what is that mindset? That mindset is what? Pick myself up by the bootstraps. That's, that's showing that there's still something I can do to dictate this. David's not doing that. He's like, I can't dictate this. Like, I feel like I'm, in the, I'm six feet deep right now, right? And I think for us this morning, you know, some of us are so concerned with saving face that we fail to grasp our need for God's saving grace, right? We're more concerned about saving face and therefore we fail to realize just the simple cry, just have grace towards me, God. And so that reminder, don't be absent-minded of the devil's attacks, right? And that leads us into this, this third point here and this is verse 5 and 6, and this is about being reflective and hungry. Yet again, remember, this is, as we go through this, we're thinking about when you and I, when we cry out to God, what's the purpose of it? How am I going about it? What is the end goal that I want to come out of me talking to God, me crying out to him in my plight? 5 and 6 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Three words here, remember, meditate, ponder. If you're writing down notes, if you're highlighting in your Bible, highlight those three words. Remember, meditate, ponder. So I've been studying the Psalms. We've actually been doing a study in the Psalms here with the youth on Wednesdays, and I've been seeing a consistent theme. So you look at this morning's message, aches and gains. Like I said, many of us, we get stuck on the ache part. 
and we struggle to get to the gain part, right? And looking in the, in these, through these psalms, regularly you see this reflection upon, man, this is really bad, God, but I remember the time you did this. I remembered when I was in the congregation of the righteous and we were worshiping together and praising you, and then it takes an expectant turn, right? So you see here, he's, as he's like, I'm broken and needy, God. I'm tired and tormented. I'm at the bottom of the pit. But at the bottom of the pit, I'm not just looking at the dirt on the walls around me. I'm thinking towards the ways you've been faithful to me. And I'm believing that you're going to allow me to have strength to press onward. Right? As he goes on there, what does he say? I stretch my hands out to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. You know, though David is genuine referring to the feelings of darkness in the cave he was experiencing, he doesn't take residency there. I want to ask you this morning, where are you taking residency amidst your hurt? Yet again, I have to tread lightly here because there are heavy weights in the room that we each face. And there's some morning, some of us in here, we don't want to think expectantly. We want to think about the dirt on the walls around me and say, it's just caving in. I hate feeling this pressure. I just wish there was another way. But you see here this expectant turn. I love Psalm 73, 26. You're writing down notes. Write down Psalm 73, 26 here. Psalm 73, 26 says this. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what he's saying here. He's just said, my flesh has just failed, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is the portion. He is the one that we cry out to He is the one that we cling to. He is the one that we hunger for and crave. I want to ask you this morning, do you hunger for righteousness? Do you hunger, do you and I, do we hunger for the things of the Lord? You know, I think about, by illustration, Brittany and I love ice cream. I love ice cream more probably. I'm not going to throw my wife in there. We both love ice cream. We love bluebell ice cream. Anybody like bluebell ice cream? Oh my goodness. If you've never had it, just go, go to the store and get you some Bluebell ice cream. A few weeks ago, it was about 7.45 at night. I had just laid the kids down. Or she was laying Cadence down. I was laying Karis down. I laid Karis down, and she was still laying Cadence down. I said, I got to run out and get something. She's like, what are you going to get? I was like, I just got to go get something. There was a new flavor of Bluebell I wanted to get. But they didn't have it, so I had to go get another. I had to settle for another flavor, but I wanted ice cream. I went out, and I got, we ended up getting cherry vanilla that night. It was good. I would recommend it. Um, hey, but look, I've, I've tasted Bluebell ice cream, and I can tell you, it's very good. <laughs> I'm not just talking about it, you know, just kind of like, uh, well, I, I think it's good, or I've heard people say it's good. No, I, I've tasted it, and I find satisfaction in eating a bowl of it, Right? You know how it is. Fill in the blank with whatever that treat, whatever that meal is that you enjoy the most. Here's the thing. We can't find satisfaction from a plate we never eat from, and you can't find satisfaction from a cup you never put to your lips. Think about it. Some of us are hurting in the room today, and we're trying to find that pivot point where it's like, all right, I want to find that hopeful, expectant point, God. I'm going to... But you know what we struggle with is we don't get verse 5. You start trying to remember the days of old and meditate on all that you've done and ponder in the work of the hands of the Lord. Like, 
if you've not been doing that, that's a very dark spot to be in when you get into the pit. Some of us take what we're doing in the room today way too lightly. Some of us take this not enough seriously. Some of us take communication with God in complete absence, right? God is not just your little token that you put a quarter in when you have a hard time and say, God, now I expect you to get me out of this. Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of us in the room, probably today, we wouldn't say that, but that's how we're living. And then we get caught in the pit and we're like, well, why am I in the pit? Are you reflecting in the midst of hardship on the times that the Lord has worked in your life? Have you ever opened your, yourself up to true fellowship? I didn't, I'm not talking about just like, it's easy to do what you're doing, you and I are doing in here now. We're sitting in a church and you, we can just kind of sit here and we got people that we're fairly familiar with around us and that's, we can go and we can come. Now I'm talking about coming in like, I wanna experience God. I wanna be just like David was at the beginning. I don't care what people think about me. I'm gonna go have that conversation with that person and I wanna reach out to that person. I wanna go and, and share my heart with this person so that we can have that rich, true community. If we don't have any of that stuff to look towards, don't be surprised when we get eaten up. The hunger pains that we feel and experience amidst the fading world are only quenched and satisfied in the Lord who rules and reigns. And we gather together in worship of him. And when we get into the hard spot, what are we reflecting upon? Are we turning to the woe is me? Or are we saying, holy is he? Like, what is, what is the directive here? Here's the, the, the fourth thing as we almost come to a close. Verse seven and eight. This is the desperate dependence, right? Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. There's a desperation, an urgency, a dependence at play here. He's saying, quickly answer me because my heart fails me. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, God. I want to be near to you. And what does he say at the end of verse seven? If those things were to happen, I would go down to the pit. Basically saying, if you don't step in, God, I have nothing. I'm laid out naked and bare, in this pit, in this grave. There is no hope for me apart from you. Verse eight, I love, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For in you I trust. Some of us in here today, we're struggling to look to the light of the morning because we're consumed and owned by the darkness of today. We're gonna see here in the last verse, what am I a servant to? I want you to think about that as we close today. What am I ultimately a servant of? Am I a servant of the opinions of other people? Am I a servant to my fears? Or am I a servant to the Lord who, who is faithful and just to forgive and to save my soul? He says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. Who does he trust? I trust in, in you. And I love at the end of verse eight, I wanna know the way I should go. He's basically like, I wanna grow in my knowledge of you. I, I seek you. I love in Proverbs, it talks about ponder the path 
of your feet that all your ways may be what? Sure. Am I, I don't want to, it says, I don't want to swerve to the right or to the left. Turn my foot away from evil. So there's a clear directive. He's like, this is urgent. This is necessary. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to keep my eyes set. See here, we can't allow the aches of the flesh to deaden the urgency of our need for the Lord. Some of us have been through the ringer. Some of you in this morning, you're in the ringer right now. And if you were honest, you'd be like, I, I feel the aches more than I feel or understand any gain. And what are the dangers there is you can become apathetic. Apathy can kind of rule your life and just it can get to the point where I just don't care anymore. Bitterness can come in becoming frustrated and bitter at everything that's happening in life and saying, well, things don't work out my way and this should be this way and I'm bitter towards others. We can't allow the aches of the, fl- of the flesh to deaden our urgency. I, we gotta, God, keep my mind set. And here's the thing, amidst the flesh's mourning and mourning almost like a sad, somber mourning, we must remember that joy comes with the mourning. The next day, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope within the Lord. And the final point here, Psalm uh, 143, 9 through 12. This is where it takes that, kind of that expectant turn. And here's where I want us to really land as it drives home. Yet again, we're thinking about when I cry to God, and I know there's many of us in here that are crying out to God. You might have cried out to God this morning. What do I want to get out of that? And you see in these final few verses kind of what is, what do I want to get out of it? Why am I crying out to God? What do I see as being the end game here? He says in verse nine, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Clearly he's desiring deliverance. He's run to the Lord as his ultimate refuge, his hiding place. And then verse 10, again, teach me to do your will for you are my God. He's claiming you're the one who rules my life and teach me to do what you want me to do. We all know when we get in the pit, you hear every voice. We're in those perilous situations. We got a table in front of us with every cup and plate known to man that we can eat and drink from. Everyone. But we're saying, God, I know there's only one cup I need to drink from. I know there's only one plate I need to eat from. And I want it to be you. I want to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. What does it say? On level ground. My hope is built, we're going to sing at the end, my hope is built on nothing less than his love and righteousness. You see here as it continues in verse 11, for your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. For your namesake. What is it all about? God, I want to be delivered from this situation so that you would be glorified. So that you would be exalted. And what does he say? What's going to bring me out of my trouble yet again? It's in your righteousness. It's in your righteousness that I will be able to get out of this situation that I'm in. And what does he say there? Then you see the victorious expectation at the end. If you look back to verse 9 through 12 and the magnifying and expectant, it says, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. There's this expectancy here that there's going to be victory found within the Lord. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. And yet again, what does it say there? You are my servant. Now, the question I think to ask in conclusion here is, what are we running from 
is something that maybe we want to ponder a lot. Well, I'm running from this difficult situation. I'm running from uh, this person that's causing me trouble. I'm running from these fears that seem to riddle me. But some of us spend more time running from our pain and failures instead of running to the Father who saves us. And here's the thing. We don't run to the Lord just to get away from what chases. We run to the Lord to delight within and further magnify him. We run to God to get God. We thirst and hunger for eternity because we get to be with him in eternity. And for some of us, what we gotta come to grasp this morning is we're crying out to God, but it's based in, God, I don't wanna be in this situation anymore. I wanna be comfortable again. I don't want all this stuff to happen, God. Get me back in a peaceful place when instead we ought to be like Paul says in Philippians 4. I'm content and wherever I'm at, it's really hard. Paul would even talk about it. He's like, I despised of life itself. He says in 2 Corinthians. But it's getting to that point where we realize, man, your steadfast love is better than life. And so that's the challenge this morning. Now, back to that illustration at the beginning, I, Think about my friend, you know, he was on that, you know, he was, he could have easily stood up, he was hurting, he was experiencing that pain, and it was once that my other friend came alongside of him and said, it's okay, you can stand up. You could see the flailing stopped, and here, there was a peace. He still was hurting from his cramp, but things were okay. And my hope for you this morning is this, my prayer is, there are hurting people in here this morning. Some of us know each other's hurt, some of us don't. I think this goes twofold. If you're in Christ this morning, know that there is solid ground underneath your weak and weary knees. I can't stand up here and look you in the face and say, boy, your, your health issues, they're gonna get better. Or boy, this relationship, everything's gonna sort out. Or, oh, you're, you know, financially things are struggling. Oh, well, God's gonna bless you. But I can tell you one thing, he's gonna be faithful to you. He is near. I could tell you another thing from Hebrews, you know. What does it say? He sympathizes with us in our weakness because he was tempted and tried in every way as we are yet without sin. You can say that he is near. And here's the challenge. Repent and flee from your sin. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Stop settling for the other plates and the other cups. And through Christ, joy comes with the morning. Remember that as you cry out to him. And if you're not in Christ this morning, I know in a room this size, some of you are not walking with Jesus. Maybe you've claimed to walk with Jesus, but it's been more of a game. Maybe you need to get to the point where you say, I just need to do like he said and just be like, I lay it all out there. I have nothing to bring to the table. It's not my gifts. It's not my righteousness. There's nothing good within me. I've learned, I've gotten to the point at the bottom of the pit where I don't have strength, God, to pick myself up, but I believe you will be the one that picks me up. I challenge you, if you are not in Christ this morning, call out upon him. Admit your sin, repent of it. Yearn for his mercy and begin walking in his ways and remember he is faithful and just to forgive and new life will be found in Christ. Many are crying this morning, but may our plea not be grounded within a mere desire for fleshly comfort or avoidance of consequences. But may our plea have the sole purpose of falling desperately dependent upon God, 
seeking to walk within his ways, magnifying his name, and looking towards his kingdom, which is quickly coming. This is a plea focused around a life pleasing to him. I'm going to pray here, and as, we, as I finish praying and the band comes up, we're going to sing this song, My Hope is Built Upon Nothing Less than his righteousness. Some of you maybe have been looking at these lyrics these last few minutes. What a great way to close the service today. There's nothing I can build my life on but Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing of the new life we find in you. Lord, I pray for the persons that are crying out in the room this morning. Those that are in the dark place, the dark pit, And they've been struggling to find that pivot point, that expectant and hopeful turn. I pray, Jesus, that your word made very clear today of what that expectant turn is. That there is hope to be found in you. That you're the one that fights for us. That it's on your righteousness and your faithfulness that we must be found. Lord, do a work within us. May we take more seriously our delighting within you. You are satisfied, Lord, when we delight within you. Lord, I pray over anything in the room this morning that would be contrary to you, that's pulling our attention away from you. Lord, may we repent of that and push that to the curb. As we sang earlier, may we not turn our heart to idols, but may we stand strong in worship of you. We pray these things. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 